This program is brought to you by Focus Life Force Energy. FLFE creates a positive energetic environment that supports the consciousness of your space and gives you more energy to improve the quality of your life, supporting you in co-creating a more nurturing environment to expand your consciousness, to sleep and meditate more deeply, to boost your body's natural healing ability, to increase focus, concentration, and creativity, and to energize your living and working space. You can try this at home, business, or everywhere with your mobile phone. At home, to create a healing sanctuary. For your business, to create an extraordinary work environment and receive the rewards. And everywhere with your mobile phone, to create a nurturing bubble around you 24-7. And you can experience all of this for free, for 15 days, no payment or credit card required. There's nothing to lose. Go to VeritasRadio.com, click on our store, and try today. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The theory of multidimensional reality is a unified field theory that scientists have been trying to find and develop for the past 100 years. Are we living in a matrix, in a digital reality? If your government knew that an extinction-level event was approaching, would they tell you? Are the Georgia Guidestones, COVID-19, health passports, Agenda 2030, microchipping, AI, etc., pieces of a more sinister agenda to intentionally depopulate Earth? exercise better control, and serve a few who might be left behind? If you want to know, stay with me. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback. Just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Douglas Vogt is the author of many books, including God's Day of Judgment, The Real Cause of Global Warming, The Theory of Multidimensional Reality, Creation of the Hebrew Alphabet, and many others. You can find him at dieholdfoundation.com and on his YouTube channel, the Diehold Foundation. Douglas joins us directly from Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, Douglas, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, how's Arizona? Very cold, snowing in the last couple of days, but now finally the clouds have cracked and we have some sun coming out, which is very untraditional for this part of the world. Well, it's 77 degrees out now <laughs> here in Florida. So, but we have clouds. I think it came. The, this stuff came from the Gulf of Mexico. 
Excellent. Well, Doug, you have been very, very recommended by some of our listeners. And you and I have been talking for the past couple of weeks, and I'm fascinated by what you're about to tell us tonight. The poll reversal, the Nova, and all the things that you have learned. Why don't we begin, first of all, because I didn't read a bio. I wanted you to tell us, who is Douglas B. Vote? Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, I'm 73. I'm a class of 65. And uh, my first major was in geology. Um, played the violin for nine years, though. And uh, I think that connected my right and left brain. So I think kind of three-dimensionally. Uh, I uh, will switch over and because the oil industry wasn't paying, uh, hiring any geologists, so I switched over to accounting. So I was an accountant for a number of years. But when I graduated college in, in June of 70, I uh, continued studying uh, what I really love, which is the earth sciences. And the first book I did was called Reality Revealed, The Theory of Multidimensional Reality. It's a mouthful, and it's about a 450-page book. But that's where I present the first ideas of an information theory of existence. The reason why I uh, leapfrogged almost everybody else in some of these fields is because of this information theory of existence. What we are taught in school is a matter-oriented theory of existence. Most of you, if not all of you, do not know where we got this from and why. But the reason is Aristotle. And none of you know who really Aristotle was, or if there was an Aristotle. But there actually was eight authors to Aristotle, to works of Aristotle. The only one who mentions an Aristotle who is a Greek author, not a Roman writing in Greek, only mentions him in half of a sentence as an admiral in Alexander the Great's Navy. That's it. Uh, And after that, um, if you see video series 12, part one, it explains the whole thing. The entire chain of custody of of the works of Aristotle was a library that contained his works besides others. And I went to Rome via General Lucullius, and then Cicero started writing some of it, and then the Calpurnius Pisos after them took it over. There's a reason why, and that's in part two, but that's the reason why we have this matter theory of existence. There was another theory of existence out there, very much of a Jewish idea. It shows up in Plato in his cave analogy, but there was two ways of looking at the universe. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all of our great scientists, including all of us too, us laymen, we were taught this matter theory of existence. We look at everything as being the result of matter, even what light is. And, and that's the problem. That's why they could never figure out what causes the ice age and geomagnetic reversals. It's because you can't find an explanation that explains all the phenomena that go on during this thing. Uh, you cannot find it within the creation, you know, as in our reality. You have to realize it is a clock cycle that runs through time. I first knew of the clock cycle, but I didn't know the exact number of years when I first wrote the first book. There was enough things in the mythologies and also in the, the geology journals that there was repeated reversals in ice ages and they did at that time we didn't know how many exactly how many years we knew it was about 12,000 years 
1989, I, I, I found an article by an astronomer called Bach, and it's called Bach Globulars. And it was like 450 of these, basically a big dust shell around a star or a group of stars. And about from 11,000 to about 14,000 light years from the Earth. That's an estimate. And it was all around the Earth. I said, wait a minute. Maybe when a star novas, it throws off a, its dust shell, its matter shell, and we don't see it for a while, for maybe uh, even a thousand years. So I'm, I went to the University of Washington Library, and there was a, some very good books. Uh, it was astronomy uh, library, um, math uh, and engineering library. And um, Sky and Telescope 2000 survey had a great database, and I basically wrote down the database of all known stars, open clusters, and globular clusters in our galaxy. And lo and behold, I found six blank periods in space. Four of the six were actually 12,068 light years apart. That's the clock cycle. When I found that, I basically had destroyed this matter theory of existence. I have proven there was a clock cycle that runs through time. You cannot have a clock cycle unless the universe is the product of a synchronous system. Got it? The next thing that proves that the universe is the product of information is a simple experiment. You can do it with less than $100 worth of electronic parts, and it's called the, the phantom leaf effect in Carilion photography. The critics immediately wind up saying, well... The leaf must have been on the plate beforehand. Therefore, you have that residue. But that wasn't the case. I actually knew Thelma Moss from UCLA and when I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and she did a lot of experiments there. And it's a genuine thing. It only shows it for the first few seconds after you cut the tip of the leaf off and you photograph it in, in a dark room between two plates. It can't under an athroid. You, you, you pass a high-voltage, high-frequency through the plates, and if you hit the right frequency, you actually see the missing part of the leaf that you cut off, and that's the phantom. The only way that phantom could exist is that what we call the conscious part of the, the leaf, conscious in quotes, uh, to show up as bubbles of light is if the information is being still being transmitted to those coordinates in time and space. Hence, you've got another dimension. You have information that makes up living things and matter coming from another dimension and is created this way those two simple experiments or dis discovery and experiment prove that the universe is the product of information after that i found more when i did uh, my 2007 book god's day of judgment the real cause of global warming in chapter eight has over 400 references from the journal science nature geology and a bunch of others and it clearly shows a 12,068 year or a 12,000 year cycle. Now, the reason why a ice age happens immediately after a reversal is because what happens at the reversal is the part that's scary. Uh, and in the video series four on YouTube, on, you, you search for Diehold Foundation, that's D-I-E-H-O-L-D Foundation. You'll actually uh, see all the videos. There's about like 50 some odd videos out there now. But in series four is all the proof you need. It's some of the stuff that's in the book. Obviously, you can't put all the information that's in the book on a, on a half hour to an hour video. But it's all there with all the references, too. 
And what I found is what happens is during the time of the clock cycle, this 12,068-year cycle, our sun novas, the Earth stops its rotation for about seven to eight hours, and then it goes and rotates in the opposite direction. We don't know how much it slows down before the event. We don't know if it's a few weeks or days or hours. It's probably days to weeks. Some of the mythologies in the American Indian and and other parts of the world talk about it and that the earth slowed down or the sun slowed down. And they have various mythologies about it, legends. But it slows down, then it goes in the opposite direction. And that's the key part. During that time, uh, guess what happens to the oceans? Well, just go in your backyard or if you go shopping, get your shopping cart, bring a, a pie pan with you, a rectangular pie pan, fill the pie, put the pie pan on the bottom of the shopping cart, fill the, uh, the, car, the uh, thing with water, the, the pan with water, and slowly increase your speed with the uh, shopping cart to about two miles an hour and then stop short. And you'll see what happens. <laughs> the water goes away from you and then it sloshes back. Whatever's left hasn't hasn't fallen out. So that's the origin of the great flood mythologies and legends throughout the world. That's what happens. There's a scientific reason why it happens, and it's described in series four why it happens. Anyway, uh, that that's some of the hard thing. Now, what causes the ice age? It's chemistry 101. In Seattle, we had an ice field that was like 4,000 feet thick. That's their estimate. So I had to figure out, okay, how much snow can create an ice field 4,000 feet thick? Because there's nothing written about it. You have to figure it out yourself. So I uh, went to the chemistry books, and all they had was how many calories of heat it takes to evaporate one uh, cubic centimeter of, of distilled water. When you got ocean water, it's a lot more. So you've got... A simple formula. If you have an ice field that's 4,000 feet thick, it represents snow. How do you get snow? You have to have clouds. How do you get clouds? You have to have water vapor. How do you get water vapor? You have to have a lot of heat on the surface of the oceans to evaporate a hell of a lot of water to make the water vapor. It eventually comes down in the form of snow. The ratio comes out to about 4.86 to 1. And there's this a big variation. I was surprised the variation of the weight of snow and also the weight of glacial ice. So it depends on if the snow is dry and cold or it's wet snow. Depends on how much the damn thing weighs. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so it meant that Seattle had a, a snowfall of about 19,400 feet of snow to make an ice field that's 4,000 feet thick. You got the picture? I do. Not a pretty picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's the problem. That's what happened. That's irrefutable. That's how you wind up getting an ice age. So if you see evidence of an ice age, like carbon-14 dating uh, drumlins and, and the stuff that glaciers leave behind, moraine, and carbon-14 dated, that means that's when you had your reversal. And that's how I dated a lot of the stuff. But how, how, do, how do you volcanoes? I don't mean to interject, but how do you know exactly the time? Is it because you use ice core samples to do it, or some some other way? 
Ice Coast Campbell's only came out later. Uh, no, it was it was basically once you know the model. Let me give you an example, so everybody will understand what's going on here. Philosophy is the main thing. You have to start with that first. A philosophy. Let's say you have a ten thousand piece puzzle. Now, if you don't have the picture what this thing looks like when it's all done with, you pick up a piece and you don't know where the hell it goes, do you? It's only after you have a picture that you pick up the piece and say, okay, this goes in the lower right or this goes the upper left or in the middle. And you match up the color and the, pa- and the pattern of the picture and then you know where it is. The final picture is, a fu- is the philosophy. The philosophy has to come first. So when I saw the dating of the glacial till, the organic material like logs and stuff like that, corals, all kinds of stuff, seashells that were found all over the world in various levels, then I knew what, what had happened. It was obvious then. That's the Ice Age. That combined with when you have a mass extinction, the same immediately after you have a geomagnetic reversal. The reversals are figured out by the remnant magnetization in the soils. Some clays have a high iron content. Lava sometimes does, depends on where it is. So you know then what what it, it what happens. So with, with volcanoes, sometimes they've had logs found underneath the the um, the igneous rock, the, the rock that came from the lava, the lava, and they can date that in carbon fourteen data. And many times, I think about four instances they were able to date it, and they fell within the standard deviation of the carbon fourteen dating. So I had more than one way to know it. Besides the legends and myths uh, of Zoroastrians and Greeks and stuff like that, and the Egyptians, they all focused around 12,000 years. Well, they were right. Um, And and that's that's how I I knew I had it. But I I had to get a lot of carbon-14 data and lead a lot of journals, uh, geology journals and stuff like that, to know... Uh, to have the hard evidence. So, I mean, are you saying that that's the, how you do it. the last great flood or Noah's Ark happened about 10,000 BC? That would be about 12,000 years ago. Right. Yeah. So, so it coincides to what you're saying. Have you heard, I just out of curiosity, when you said, you said something very interesting that caught my attention when you said that perhaps some living beings come from another dimension. Are you familiar with the work of? A very, this, this happened 180 years ago, the work of Andrew Cross and the Akari insects. No, I think you should, you better understand, when I, when I say dimensions, I had to redefine dimensions. The way physics defines it now is length with depth and time as the fourth dimension. I don't. The third dimension is the first layer of matter when matter comes into this dimension. The And it goes on from there. We are basically a fourth dimensional existence where we need our physical body to move things, touch things, eat and stuff like that. We can't read minds. At least most of it can't. And uh, so we're a fourth dimension. You have a, uh, an information that we would, you would say is your soul, but it's, it's an information that's strapped onto a carrier wave being transmitted to the same coordinates that make up your physical body, the atoms that make up your body. Then you have a fifth-dimensional being who is something beyond an Uri Geller. 
where you can actually move an object just with your mind. I separate dimensions by how much potential and information that entity can wind up controlling and manipulating and using. It's different. Where time is not a separate dimension because it's common among all the dimensions. It's more like the rate at which this die hold transmits the information for all the dimensions. So it's not really a dimension. It's really a function of creation. I guess that's that's where I was going. Just just to let people know in case they wonder, what did you say, Mel, about the Akari insects? Well, this individual was doing some experiments with the electricity back in the 19th century. And what he found by doing that, all of a sudden, inside of a dome of glass, these insects materialized time and time again, and they were not there before. How did that happen? I don't know. But anyway, it's just that, that was a quick parenthesis. I don't mean to deviate from what you're saying. That's interesting. I'd like to see the experiment and <laughs> what kind of insect showed up. The Akari insects, but I'll forward that to you after. Good. <laughs> but uh, I go through it. Series one uh, is, is the definition of the theory of multidimensional reality. Part three is on the creation of the matter, of matter. It's the first four, dim uh, four uh, dimensions. And then part four is uh, uh, dimensions five through eight. And it also explains what gravity is. What happened? Let's, let's begin with what happened in 1957 and 1950. I think that's a precursor to a lot of your work, isn't it? <clears throat> that's correct. It's probably the most important. Uh, it's the culmination of all the proof uh, in series four of what causes the ice age and polar reversals. Uh, in December of 57, uh, was the last Gleisberg cycle and our sun for a period of four or five days had over 320 to 340 or 50 sunspots in one day. <laughs> That's a lot. Our, our sun went nuts. It really expanded. Um, its output was, it was much greater. In fact, the growing season for 2057 and 58 was 30 days greater than normal. The growing season, that's, that's called global warming, but it has nothing to do with mankind. It has to do with the sun. Got it? So that's, that's really it. So what happened is within one or two months, they issued a stamp Uh, called the International Geophysical Year. Now, that started at the beginning of 57 and ended at the end of 58. All the countries were part of it except for China. And uh, uh, they were studying basically the Earth and the sun. So the stamp has a semicrescent of the sun erupting. It has the, the picture from the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's, of the, the hand and finger of God, almost touching the finger of Adam, as if to say, please help us so we don't die, you know? And then uh, above it, a geophysical year. But that doesn't make any sense either. Geophysical means the study of the earth. Why are they showing the sun? You got the picture? Who, who do you think, right. I, this is the, the stamp is what we're actually using for the promotional image of this interview, by the way. What do you think, who do you think designed that stamp, and is it conveying truth or a warning to humanity? It's like they can't keep a secret or they have to warn somebody. Mm -hmm. They figure no one's smart enough to figure this thing out anyway. 
I'll continue. It gets even funnier. Okay, by July 30th, they passed the law that created NASA. I think it passed in July 30th, 1958. And why did they create NASA? To go to the moon and bring the samples back. What was the name of the project of, of the flight that goes to the moon? Apollo. It was called Apollo. Apollo is the Greek sun god. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so they sent the Greek sun god to the moon to bring back the samples from the surface of the moon that proved that the sun know it. Bingo. So <clears throat> the next video that's coming out is uh, in video series four, part five H. I actually, for the last month and a half, I have been reading uh, presidential executive orders from Nixon all the way to Trump. And because in, in video series part um, uh, 5G, uh -oh. I'm not going to be censored from, from uh, YouTube or anything like that. And, and you'll find out as, as you see the videos and hear this, this interview. Okay. I know more than they do. They need me more than I need them. And you'll understand it the minute you see the videos. And I'll try to go through it. Anyway, they, there's been reported that the Department of Health and um, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, and the Defense Department refuses to show over $21 trillion worth of money. They didn't lose it. They know where they spent it. It's just not showing anybody. And I'm really curious. I was curious about that. And I had written a letter to three of the leadership in the Pentagon back in August. They got it on August 20th. And 12 business days later, I got an answer back. My letter was about 850 words. I got a response of, uh, it was 1,950 words. And it had 24 questions and five comments that I also had to answer. I go through them in that previous uh, I was just say this five and then space part G <laughs> is that you want instead of five G I say that instead. That's so, okay. Uh, so uh, I go through some of it. I didn't show the whole letter I got from them, but it's it obviously they were really concerned. It was obviously the defense department did not like what the CIA was doing. And so CIA was put in charge of this thing. Now, I'll go, let me go on further. I'll try to tie this thing there so you understand what's going on. Okay, they went to the moon. They landed there. And I think I can tell you when they landed. And they, they um, okay, here it is. They landed on the moon on July 20th, 1969. July 24th, they came back to the Earth with the, with the samples from the moon. And on September 26th, just about, not even two months later, um, Dr. Thomas Gold had a contract with NASA, and his job was to figure out why there were these small five-inch and one- and two-foot craters on the moon with, like, glass on the bottom and glazing on, on moon rocks and stuff like that. And uh, his article came out then, and I'll, I'll basically... 
uh, I'm looking at the, the PDF to show this. I'm going to have it. His article is in the journal Science, volume 168, page 1345, and dated September 26th of 69. And the abstract says this, some glazing is apparently due to radiation heating. It suggests a, a giant solar outburst in geologically recent times. In the article, and you'll see it on the video when it's when it's out. I'll probably put it together by either tonight or tomorrow. The phenomena may not be in the form in the nature of a flare, but in the nature of a very minor nova-like outburst of the sun. The nova phenomena among the stars is not understood. That's absolutely true, and even today. One can therefore not completely rule out the possibility that stars that are like the sun do have occasional instantaneous or internal or, uh, origin, but very much weaker than the nova. He's wrong about that. Uh, there is no mini nova. There's no micronova. Remove it from your alphabet, your, your vocabulary. It, 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 call it a solar, solar flare, a solar cycle, but it is not a nova. A nova happens on the clock cycle, and the way you know it's, it's not a little tiny flare from the last reversal, last ice age, the water, uh, the sea level was down about 420 to 450 feet. When you figure out how much, I figured out how much water could be evaporated for 350 feet of ocean water, every square foot. Uh, and it comes out to every square foot was, had to apply, had to apply 6 billion calories of heat to every square foot of ocean water worldwide to make the worldwide um, sea level go down by 350 feet. It goes down 400 feet, you're talking about 7 or 8 billion calories, especially since it's salt water, not fresh water. It takes more heat. At that point, you realize you're talking about a nova. You got it. It is a nova. And a couple of the legends from South America and other places say they saw the, the earth melt turn red. That's what they're talking about. It's not a joke. This thing happens every 12,068 years. We are the result of a few people that survived it last time. I'm doing these videos and I did the books because I'm trying to better our odds. So question, back to what government did, which is probably what is most everybody will be concerned about. In October 28, that's one month after Thomas Gold's article hit the journal Science. Nixon had uh, a, a large executive um, uh, order, number 11490. It was over 17,000 words. Um, it says, its title was Assigning Energy Preparedness Functions to Federal Departments and Agencies. That was just after... Thomas Gold and, the, and, the, and the, the stuff came back from the moon and they knew the sun Novin. And, and that's what happened. I've read the whole thing. The video will go through some of the parts that are blatantly in there. Now, some of it, obviously, we're still in the Vietnam War. So there were some things about legitimate war and stuff like that. But the word war does not show up in that whole 17,300-word document only four times. Emergency is an attack, but you consider... A stellar nova, an attack on the United States. 
So it goes through, and I figured out all of the executive orders that had to do with this event, buried in others. Some of the executive orders were incorporated, like, for instance, Reagan in in November 18th, 1988, that's after the election, and he was going to leave office. He has an executive order that ends Nixon's executive order, but includes a lot of the stuff in it. And then 10 days later, November 28th of 1988, he has the Robert T. Stanford Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act. 71,600 words. I read it. <laughs> and I got news yet. So he embedded the uh, some of Nixon's executive order as well as his own in there. You like the work I've done? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? <clears throat> Well, let's just dissect all of this. Let's go back to to the moon, for example. I've always wondered, and I'm glad you're saying it, Apollo, and the reason was because of the sun, because I always wondered, why isn't it called Selene, the the Selene mission, because that's the Greek goddess of the moon. So what happened in 1957, you think that was the trigger that created NASA? Right. To figure out every great secret, you have to find an event in time that caused another group of people or nations to react to it. And that was it. Uh, I mean, you, you don't understand, uh, unless you see some of the videos, they actually had the aurora borealis down to the mid-latitudes of the United States and all over Europe. It scared a lot of people. It really did scare a lot of folks. That's why. Now, uh, to prove my point also, in the next video, 5H, hopefully they won't censor that word, um, the, I have also a link for the first interview of the three astronauts, the two that were on the moon. And when you see their faces and their behavior, they're not happy at all. This no. is not even 90, six, 90 days after the— I've always wondered that, uh, Doug. Everyone has. You would think anyway, that they would be jumping like for joy. Yeah, it looks like they were at a funeral. And you should read the, you should read the comments, though. It's hilarious. Uh, I mean, I'm not the only one seeing it. You're seeing it. Hundreds of people saw it. Now you know why. I think what happened is when they came back with the samples, it's what they were walking on also. They saw the glazing. They must have been walking on. The glass beads are deposited over the previous glass beads from a previous Nova, and also infalls from uh, stellar wind and stuff like that, that, that glazed over and basically melted from the sun when it, when it annulled it. And they must have been like walking on glass. I mean, there's no sound there, but they could feel it in their feet. Crunch, crunch, crunch. And so they must have gone to a deep debriefing when they landed, and they must have been told what it was about and what not to say, what they saw or what they walked on. And that's why they look so sad. They had to have been told why. And that's why they look like they were just at a funeral. They just found out the sun novid, and that was the whole purpose of the Apollo mission. But still, couldn't you mix a bit of joy? Yes, okay, we can find out if this occurs in certain intervals. But the fact that we allegedly, and I say allegedly because most people know that, I sometimes question if that what they presented to us. But anyway, that's a different story. But the fact that they actually went to the moon is the biggest technological accomplishment for humankind that we know of. 
perhaps other civilizations prior to the last polar reversal had better things than we do now, but they were decimated by the cataclysm that occurred. What's your take on that? Um, Neil Armstrong was interviewed years later. I think it was 10 years later or something like that, a few years later, and he looked a lot happier. I think he was able to mentally uh, um, come to grips with what he had learned. And, I mean, they were all under secret, uh, secrecy agreements that they couldn't say anything. And so, uh, but I think he, he was just relegated to that. Now, remember, when Nixon did his executive order, they were in the next midst of the next sunspot cycle. They didn't know if that thing was going to go off. They, they had no total ignorance of how the sun really works and what this was all about. By the way, uh, a solar cycle is 11.09 years. Eight of those is called a Gleisberg cycle of 88.73 plus years. 136 Gleisberg cycles is 12,068 years. There's your clock cycle. There's the synchronizing and resynchronizing frequencies all geared to the main clock cycle. That's why you can't figure it out. In this dimension, you have to go to how this reality is created. That's the part a lot of people have a hard time grasping. I get some who are scientists and stuff like that, and amateur scientists, they understand it because they, they thought something was wrong. In fact, some of the earlier videos I have in video one, I go through the scientists that knew something was wrong. Some very big names in physics from the past and present. They knew something was wrong. They just couldn't put their finger on it, and they never developed the idea. They didn't know where to start. So this is not, you know, this isn't really new. It's just I'm the first to ever develop it and create an information theory of existence. Obviously, this is a secret, probably top secret, because I've always been asked, Mel, do you think if the government knows that a cataclysm is about to happen or in the future, would they tell us? And I've always said, I don't think no. so. Because the, because the government is there to protect domestic tranquility. And how can you do so if you know that there's no way you can save everyone? Uh, good point. At this point, I'm going to explain something really important. I'm going to explain it in the video also. One, uh, the government knows I'm right about how the universe is created and stuff like that. They produced a paper, and I had it in the last video. I think not. Um, I think uh, 5F, I think. Uh, and no, oh, no, it was 5G. And they, they had an article done in 1988 and they, or not 1983. My first book was out in 77 printed by May of, of 78. We gave a copy uh, to, um, Luis Alvarez and, uh, his son also who professors at, um, Berkeley, but Luis Alvarez was a Nobel prize winner in physics. And he was part of the Jason group top secret group. They do reports that are all classified top secret. And he did a paper. He's the one who came up with the idea or tried to find a way to explain the extinction of the dinosaurs uh, uh, as a comet or meteor hitting the earth. He was looking for the iridium um, isotopes and because that had to come from the sun. He knew it. And he actually, I cover it in one of the earlier uh, series four that it's kind of funny. He actually makes a deliberate error in the paper he filed in, in science, and then we changed it. He says, look for this Nova event, 0.1 uh, 
um, parsecs from the Earth or solar system. Well, the nearest star is like three or four uh, parsecs away. So he's really saying, "You look, look here. It was, <laughs> you look right at our sun. That's that. You know, that's where it is. That's that's the cause of it." So are you saying that it was not a comet? It was another nova? No, no, it's not. It's not another nova. It is our sun. All stars nova. That's what the six blank persons. Right, but it was not a comet. What was killed the the dinosaurs? Oh, it was it was most likely a a big nova. It may have been one. The sun produced Mercury, or wouldn't be Venus, but probably Mercury. It was just so devastating. The amount of energy that it releases when it created a planet, like giving birth, that uh, it, it's just, it's just like, hang on, let me end that stuff. Uh, and so I think that's what kind of happened. But let, let me go to the, the guts of this thing, what's happened. <clears throat> Nixon winds up doing this executive order, 110490. And guess what agency he winds up giving it to to keep this thing a secret and to find out find out the truth, what it's all about, to do the research. Guess who? The CIA. You got it. He handed it to the wrong agency to deal with this. The CIA is a wonderful spy agency, at least it was then. And their their business is basically to lie, to keep secrets to lie to opponents to get information out of them. So what was their natural way of approaching this problem? We're going to lie, and and basically no one's going to figure it out. And I show the first cabinet meeting of Reagan where um, the the, um, head of the CIA winds up telling him, let me see if I can find it so I can quote it exactly. Because, oh, here it is. It's really funny. Uh, Bill Casey. Uh, the meeting was in 1981. This is when he first is the first cabinet meeting. And quote, we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Mm-hmm. Close quotes. That's an accurate quote, by the way. There was one by Gerb, George Herbert Walker Bush uh, to a well-known friend, uh, newswoman. Uh, and she, he said to her, if the American people knew what we were, were doing, they'd chase us down the street and hang us in the nearest lampposter. They could hang them. And now you understand why. They knew it. What they did, and I show in one of the earlier videos, they had control uh, of the National Science Foundation. And they're on the board of directors. And they decide which papers get published and which don't. So if you have a paper or project that you want to prove that the sun nova or may have caused a previous extinction, you don't get the funding. The weakness in the college system and the, the National Science Foundation thing, and I, I figured this one out, that scientists can only take two months of salary from the grant, but the school administrators can take as much as they want. Could be half, could be more. So really what this is, the National Science Foundation stuff is, is nothing more than a payoff to school administrators, colleges and universities to toe the line and do what they want. Gatekeepers. That's why they, that's why they force the professors to apply for grant money and do papers. 
because they want the money. That's one thing I learned in accounting. Follow the money trail. And that's it. So they corrupted the science community. Now you understand why they couldn't figure this stuff out. They can't. They that then we get to the building of, of tunnel systems and stuff like that. And I'll go through it in the next video. I went into the last video. Uh, before before you go there, before you go there, then, before you go there, Doug, yeah. let's go step by step. I don't want to just leave anything behind that we may not be able to re-grasp again. Why are they blaming us and not the sun? It's it's simple. They have to come up with cover stories to explain. It's just like Louis Alvarez had to wind up saying a meteor hit the place and calls the extinction of the dinosaurs? No. So they instead blame carbon, an increase in carbon, as global warming. Well, I got news here. When we're all locked down during most of 2020, guess what? The world warmed up. It didn't cool down. It warmed up, even though it was less carbon in the air. You like that? I guess they screwed up on that one, didn't they? (laughs) How come the media didn't say it? Look! We well, have bought and paid for. It. Of course. I, of and course. I know why. I found I found the law which enabled them to do this. And why the media has done this. These people have been promised, besides being paid off, they've been been paid, they've been promised a golden survival ticket for them and their family and their grandkids. That's why they're doing this. That's why. Trump said he had 50 people, lawyers, investigating when they presented the evidence to the Justice Department and the FBI and, and other attorney generals. Nobody would even look at it and take it. Why? You'll find out. In the law that Nixon had and later Obama, where he listed almost all the same departments And then later, Trump did not list some of them. Guess what? The attorney general's office is listed in there. Now, tell me why would the attorney general's office be listed for a farm uh, um, executive order about farm and helping farm and rural communities? There's no reason. In the video, you'll see the whole list. I matched them all up. But it's funny which ones don't show up in in Trump's. That's why they went after him, because two of the of the entities that are the ones responsible for supply and building this stuff, namely HUD and also FEMA and also um, Homeland Security, are not listed on his on his bill. (laughs) I'm not kidding. So. I don't think they ever told him about this stuff. I don't think they told him about the cave systems and what's going to happen. You mentioned you mentioned HUD for a second. You and I were talking on the phone a few hours before we started today, and you said something interesting. Why would they? What would Trump appoint a brain surgeon as the head of yes of uh, of uh, housing urban development? Yeah, I know a guy in uh, housing and urban development. They do building. They construct things. You're supposed to have somebody there who knows what the cost of steel, concrete, gypsum. I mean, you know, things to build a house or a building. Not a brain surgeon. 
It made no sense. The only builder in the whole administration was, guess who? Trump. Trump. And I think that's why... Now, the other... After I, I spoke to you, I went through his uh, his executive orders and bills and House bills, which mentioned HUD. And I got news to you. The only time is a House bill and the president's concerns about the bill that they're spending too much money. He wanted to cut their budget for some things by three and a half billion dollars and other things, a half a billion, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and I think the people... Obama had set up, uh, I'll tell you which one it is, so you know, in, where is it? Here it is. In, in uh, June 9th of 2011, uh, Executive Order 13575, it's only 890 words. It's to establish the White House Rural Council. This Rural Council has almost all of the same people listed in Nixon's emergency preparedness um, executive order, 11490. Now, why do you need the Secretary of Defense and a whole bunch of others have nothing to do with agriculture? And, and the executive order is just boilerplate. It doesn't help anybody. It's nothing. It's, it's irrelevant. And you'll see it in the video. When... Trump does his. His is April 25th, 2017. That's only about four months, three months after he took office. And he winds up creating his executive orders, 13790. It's 1,156 words. I've read the thing. I have it. Promoting agriculture and rural prosperity in America and revokes Obama's executive order, 13575. What he didn't know and what nobody did was that Obama's executive order, 13575, was a place where the people, the heads of the departments can get together and plan these survival caves, how to, how to supply them, build them, and get done with them. And here Trump thinks it's really for farms, and he eliminates FEMA from it. He eliminates Homeland Security. He eliminates um, HUD from it. And a lot of the money came from HUD. You like that? Now you understand why they went after him. The Attorney General was part of the meetings. They're all listed. You'll see it. It's hilarious. This is what happened. They're all compromised because they were, they were promised something that their money could not buy. The same thing goes for all of Silicon Valley, Facebook, Twitter, all of them. They must have been compromised and told, we'll give you this golden survival ticket if you play ball with us and do what we say. I was told a story about David Rockefeller, had a close friend, and he told him about this thing, survival and stuff like that. The guy didn't like it wasn't going to do it. It was against his morals. And David Rockefeller gave him up as a friend. Didn't talk to him anymore. That doesn't have so, to, that doesn't, it was, is that Aaron Russo by chance? Don't know. I don't know. Somebody told me about the story. Uh, someone out in the audience will probably know it and what it is. But the point is, is other, I've heard other stories that people have been offered something. They worked for a company and they were an important employee 
by the way, the law, a couple of the laws wind up saying the uh, Department of Labor is supposed to keep track, uh, and National Science Foundation keep track of important people, you know, scientists and and engineers and technical people that do things. They're on the list. Those are some of the people they're going to save. Because Not they want to restart the population in the future. Okay, but they made a colossal mistake. Now, I should probably probably say about what uh, DARPA. The, the, the last video, 5G, which you hate me to say, but I can't help myself. I'm just addicted to it. <laughs> That's all right. We already said it a few times, so go ahead. It doesn't matter. It's part 5G. Um, I go into DARPA. I got done with my series for the earlier stage of all the proofs that the sun novas and the, the, the ice, of course, the ice age, the flood, everything. It's all done by about March or April of 2019. Well, guess what? DARPA, which is part of the Defense Department, it's defense research. They have a, a contest. I'm not kidding. A subterranean contest. And they want industry, private individuals or universities from around the world. They don't care. They're that desperate to develop an autonomous robot to be able to maneuver and go through a cave system. And they're spent minds. The one that they show on the video is literally a probably a gold mine that they had that somebody had spent, you know, they used it, you know, they, they used it. It was, a, I know the, go the government was buying empty and abandoned gold mines and silver and copper mines and stuff like that. So they bought these mines and they use this thing for the test site. So they had dummies there, one laying down on the ground, like it's dead. The other one propped up against the wall of the cave. The, the robots had to recognize a sign, which means it had a, do optical character recognition. You recognize the sign, the letters, and convert the letters to ASCII text, and it looks up in their database what that means. And the two signs they had in this test were survivor hole. <laughs> survivor hole. This is not about mine safety at all. If it was done, if it was for mine safety, it would have been done through the Department of Interior, U.S. Geological Survey. They're the ones in charge of hard rock mining. Nobody else, not the U.S. military or DARPA. That's what happened. So they want the robot to wind up maneuvering through a cave, a mine, with all kinds of obstacles, including part of the uh, one of the, the um, uh, tunnels that had a partial collapse, maneuver around that, spot different things. They had uh, backpacks, um, drills, these two dummies. Now, what was interesting, what gave it away, they had one of the dummies was plugged in, was a heated dummy. Now, it was wearing a jacket. So, in other words, the hands and the face would glow infrared. They want these robots to be able to tell if somebody's dead or alive. Mm -hmm. You got the picture? Now, some would say this is indirectly proving my point, but I think you can almost consider this directly proving something that's very important. One, that for some reason, a human being could not get to the cave entrance to go into it to see if anybody's alive or what the condition is. Something's blocking the cave entrance that they can't get to. Two, they don't, ex 
they're going to have these robots pre-positioned, probably a, a docking station where it would charge up and also upload or download information. And then they would have, somehow they would wind up turning it on remotely, probably with microwave, and it would go through the whole cave system and report what they see. When the battery runs low, they go back to the charging station and upload the data. What it means is this, and they're saying it loud and clear, and it's only because of my videos, because they didn't know this before, that there'll be thousands of feet from one to maybe 4,000 feet of glacial ice and snow over the cave entrances, and those people will not be able to get out. They'll run out of oxygen before they run out of toilet paper. That's why they're admitting it. What's going to block them? The ice and snow. And they won't be able to even get there until maybe 20, 30, or 40 years after. It's got to stop snowing. Also be able to get out of where you are if you're, if you're by the uh, equator, where it's, we assume it's going to melt first there, to go up and, and find out who's left. That's the problem. So they're admitting it. So all these golden survival tickets they've given these guys, I'm sure senators and congressmen too, wouldn't want to leave them out, plus the bureaucracy, it's going to be their tomb. Two movies come to mind, Doug. Two movies. And before we take a break, I want to say this. Did you ever see, watch the movie 2012? Oh, of course, it's Hollywood. I get that. Oh. Roland Emmerich loves my stuff. Oh, okay. He's, he's All right. my stuff in already two of his movies, maybe a third. There you have it. The Day After Tomorrow and 2012. And when I saw 2012, it no, was just... The Day After Tomorrow. Oh. I'm talking about the, the Fifth Floor. The Fifth Floor. Is that a movie? Yep. About a bunch of computer engineers, scientists made a, a world, a whole world within a computer. And they entered the computer... And they play. It's like Fantasyland. Like SimCity, a nature, nature it's reality. But you have to watch it. The, the only credit I got from him was the star of the movie, his name was Douglas. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, let me ask you this about 2012, that movie. Because, well, obviously, sure. they, they make the Chinese the saviors because China owns half of Hollywood now. But this part, that they're buying the politicians, they're buying all those people who will be integral when it comes to this situation, you see those cities in China, the ghost towns full of buildings that are empty. And sometimes you wonder, could they be there for the future? And this is why they're positioning China as the greatest superpower in order for these people to survive. Because what you're saying, they might not be able to survive underground for a while, but perhaps certain parts of China might. No. Um, the jet stream is going to go after this reversal from east to west rather than west to east. What body of huge body of water is just east of China and Japan and uh, all of Indochina? South of it's the South China Ocean. Sea, Pacific Ocean, right? All, all that cold, moist air is going to be dumping a hell of a lot of snow and eventually it'll be ice on China. They're going to have a very, very bad ice age just like the East Coast will. Last time, the West Coast did. I mean, it's still this time it'll still have an ice field, but it's not going to maybe be 4,000 feet thick. It may only be 500 or 1,000 feet thick, or even less. I don't know. 
But the jet stream is the thing that carries this moisture and snow. And it's, believe me, when you have that much water evaporated, at least 400 to 500 feet of ocean water, that's a tremendous amount of water. You're not going to see the sun for one or two sunspot cycles until the sun produces this dust shell around it that produces the, the infrared light that heats us up. So if there's going to be a change well, in... say the same thing too. If, the, if there's going to be a change in direction, right? The, the, earth, the, 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 the polarity will change and it's going to go the other way. Change direction, right. Right. So the question is, there has to stop at one moment or slow down and stop. Could this be what we see in the Sahara Desert? That the sun was sand stationary air? there for a while and it burned everything to the ground. Well, also the sand may have come from the ocean, also moved there. The The way to prove it, people are probably saying, well, how the earth, how could the earth possibly stop and go the other direction? There's a reason why, and it's in, it's in the videos in Series 4. Um, it's very simple. You have deep sea canyons from all, found all over the world that go down, if you have a river like, you know, the Nile or Mississippi, uh, Delaware River, uh, Hudson River, that channel goes all the way past the, the, the continental shelf, all the way down to about ten or 11,000 feet below current sea level. It actually cut a river channel down there. The only way that could happen is if there was no ocean water there because fresh water is lighter than salt water and goes on top. It only deposits sediment like the Mississippi Delta and the Nile Delta, but it does not cut a groove in it, a canyon. These canyons are bigger than the Grand Canyon, a lot bigger. There's one off of Santa Barbara, which I show on, on, on the videos also. It's huge. It goes all the way down. The only way that can be is there was no ocean water there. The only way that can be is when the Earth stops its rotation, it keeps going, and if you were the... This time, if you're at the edge of the continental shelf, during the reversal, you could look down 10,000, 11,000 feet, and you'll see the bottom of the Atlantic until, it's, until it sloshes back, and it's going to push you back, and probably the, the slosh back will probably go another 100 miles inland. So, you know, you're not, not going to escape that part of it. But that, that's what happens. It's, that's why so few people, people survived it. That's why you have the mass extinctions during these polar reversals. It's not a joke. We have to take our one and only break, but one thing that occurred to me, what you said about NASA, that something has to happen. There should be a precursor to an event, and that's why we see these agencies pop up. And I'm thinking of the Antarctic Treaty. All of a sudden, I believe it was the 1959 when uh, the treaty was signed. Then all of a sudden we see Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Chile, France, Japan, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, United Kingdom, the United States, and the Soviet Union. And now there are even more signatories to that treaty. I want to get your answer on the other side as to what happened. And now we cannot even go there for any reason to explore, to mine, to drill. Nothing can happen in that part of the world. But how can people learn more about your work, watch your videos, and so on, Doug? Yep, um, dieholefoundation.com or Vector Associates is the book publisher and just search for Diehole Foundation on YouTube and then click on videos and you'll see all the videos listed there. There's a lot of facets to this phenomenon. And one of the first videos I put up, I said, this is the greatest secret the country has. And I wasn't kidding. This is the greatest secret. There's nothing greater. And now it's out. 
And when we come back, folks, we're going to get deeper. I know that Doug has written to the government, and you'd be amazed at some of the things that he has gotten in return. There's a lot of interest to what he has to say. And this is probably expected not that long from now. Douglas Vogt is my special guest today. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs>